I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Money Expresso. Now, before we go any further, I've got to make a confession. And and that confession is that I missed a very important anniversary last month. Can you guess what it was? Yep. It was the one-year anniversary of Menu Expresso on the 2nd of April, and here we are at episode 27. Where did that year go? Now, in today's episode, I chat to Bobby White, founder of Bobby White Fine Jewellery, who shares how his passion for making things, cars, motion, and diamonds led to a jewellery apprenticeship, buying his boss's business at age 21, and making statement jewellery pieces for the stars. Bobby is an artist with a 100% commitment to design, craftsmanship and making the very best and beautiful works of art. Bobby tells us about the highs and lows of his journey, the recent opening of his Mayfair boutique and how he's harnessed YouTube to reach over 650,000 subscribers. 650,000 subscribers, blimey. To expand his customer base and show firsthand the personality of his brand and the creation of his iconic pieces. Bobby's story is absolutely fascinating. Be prepared to yearn for one of his gorgeous pieces by the end of it. Bobby, welcome to Money Expresso. It's a sparkling delight to have you as my guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have a good chat. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And Bobby, I'm absolutely fascinated to hear the story of Bobby White Jewellery. Now, could you just start us off by telling me just the nutshell version of how you've got to where you are today, please? Well, it all first started my, well, back in the early days, my dad was getting a piece of jewellery made just when I was finishing school. And I was always into, I love making things. So I didn't know really what to do. I'm, I'm very dyslexic, so I wasn't going to be anything like an accountant for sure. <laughs> um, so my dad was having some jewellery made at the time and I got speaking to the jeweller and I just thought, you know what, this sounds really good. Um, so from there, I got a, a, I've done a course in sort of a, a pre-apprentice course in jewellery making. And then after a year, um, I finished the course and I got the highest grades in the class. Plus they give me a, a separate award they've never given anyone before. Um, so I had a choice of jobs um, from the college course. I actually had any job I sort of wanted in the jewellery trade I, they sort of offered me. Um, so yeah, from there, I got a five-year apprenticeship with a guy in Atten Garden, um, and he was extremely good jeweller. So mm-hmm. I learned so much from him how to how make the most amazing jewellery probably you can see. Um, yeah, and then from there, after the apprenticeship, the... The company I was working for, he went through some difficulties with uh, maybe like a divorce and all stuff like that. Then the company went into liquidation. And I was mm. just about at the end of my apprentice, not sort of finished, but nearly finished. And I was probably 21 at the time. And the liquidators come in to, they was literally going to sell everything, all the tools, the business, the workshop. And I saved up all my money for the last five years of working for 
this guy I just kept in the bank account because I didn't really go out. I was just I went home from work and sort of practiced being a better jeweler. So I had all this money I saved up and I bought most of the stuff off the receivers. So I went from the apprentice to actually taking over the workshop and all the tools and the equipment. Um, yeah, and then from there we just started doing our own, our, my own business and building up slowly. We made like a lot of mistakes uh, for the time, but yeah, at first we done a lot of trade work for other other big jewelers in the West End, and then we slowly sort of introduced our own designs and and getting our own customers really yeah so that's sort of a wow. nutshell of where we were at, where we was at yeah and so god so there's so many things within that bobby so you obviously yeah. have a totally raw talent um in in as far as jewelry is concerned yes it didn't come from family or anything like that i just just had a love a passion for for making yeah and, and was really, it yeah. was it um, always jewelry that was your passion for making, or was it just a, a, a general creativity that you've got? Well, so when I was younger from school, I used to come home and I used to have a uh, plasticine, and I used to make uh, plasticine cars a lot. I, I'm, I'm quite obsessed by cars as well; it's one of my big things. Yeah. So I used to make plasticine cars. So it's always yeah, it's always making and visual. Um, where I didn't, well, I'm really dyslexic. I didn't look at words. I didn't look at anything like that. So mm. I didn't really, my brain wasn't looking at the words. It was just looking at the image and the sort of the, the beauty yeah. of things, really, in, yeah. in a way, yeah. Yeah. God, and so you find yourself at 21, going from being the apprentice to buying the business. That's, I mean, how did that feel? I think it was pretty mad because at the time when I, obviously I was quite young, I probably had, uh, like, there's a lot of older people there. I mean, there's, there's people 40, 50 in the company who didn't want to risk anything. But mm. I think where I was 21, I had nothing really to lose. I was still at home with my mum and dad. Yeah. And to be honest, yeah, I bought it. I had the money there, which I saved up. Um, so really, if it all went wrong, just I was still with my mum and dad. So they were still feeding me. So I didn't really, uh, <laughs> there was nothing really to lose. And I suppose a lot of people had a lot to lose. They might have had mortgages, kids, mm. um stuff like that so yeah i think it, it didn't really phase me and i was always i was always super keen to get my own thing going anyway so I, I was ready for it yeah yeah and i love that thing that you've just explained there that um you know that that thing that we have when we're younger as you say you, when you have very little to lose it it can yeah. make you very risk tolerant can't it it's it's more as we start to build stuff around us that you don't want to lose it don't want to lose it yeah it's it's fascinating because in theory when you've got your bedrock in place you should be able to take more risk but it doesn't work out like that does exactly. it exactly exactly yeah now can i just take you back in time for a moment please bobby because yep. i'm fascinated you You've mentioned, um, you, you know, being with your parents and your dad buying your mum a piece of jewellery. Um, I think you come from, um, you were born in London, but what was what was money yes. like for you growing up? Can you tell me a little bit about, about your earliest memories of money? Yeah, so obviously I'm from the East End of London and it's quite a poor area, of course. Um, but my mum my and dad were always people who, who went out and got things, do you know what I mean? Uh, mm. My dad had metal yards. He sort of, yeah, he was always a money getter. So we never mm. really, I mean, we didn't have what people have today. I mean, it wasn't exactly wealthy, but we had everything we, we wanted. Like we went on holiday. My dad always had like a Mercedes, like a new Mercedes and stuff like that. And I sort of, it was the 80s and it was sort of a, a boom time for people around the area as well, where they wanted 
the Rolex. Like mm-hmm. my my old my me growing up was watching me and my dad's mates. They was wearing like gold Rolexes and they was driving Mercedes and they was having veneered teeth and that's pretty much all I wanted at the time. <laughs> um, I got the Rolex, but I didn't do the veneer teeth in the end because it's not a good look. <laughs> but yeah, that that was what. Um, it was a very exciting time in the in the eighties. I think with 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 what people was doing from the East End, where they realised they can go out and get these things they wanted. Um, yeah, and sort of change their life. But yeah. that's what. Yeah, yeah that's the, the, the boom of the East End at the time was quite. I, I mean, I don't know how they got it. There wasn't definitely um, into accountancy and banking but they they got what they wanted yeah yeah and what was your first job bobby no my first job was uh, literally from from school i went to the apprentice okay yeah the pre-apprentice course and then straight into my first job at the apprenticeship but yeah even when i was a kid i used to my dad mum and dad used to have a lot of parties when i was younger mm-hmm. and i used to pay to park people's cars people used to pay me i used to charge for all these things i used to charge people to use the bathrooms <laughs> So yeah, it was always there was a charge for everything when I was younger. So um, and uh, yeah, I was quite expensive as well. I wasn't cheap. Good. good. So I used to do valeting when I was probably twelve, driving people's cars. Mm, Good. And 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 so you you were saying that uh, during your um, apprenticeship you'd been saving money. Um, Was that because you had an ambition to set up your own business, or are you naturally a saver? How did that how did that come to be? No, it's just because I wanted to start my own business. Um, mm. Yes, yeah, so I just kept everything. And yeah, I was working. I was selling bits on the side to my mum and dad's friends. So I used to finish my job and then go straight home to my... I made a little workshop. My mum and dad made me a workshop at home. Um, and yeah, I used to work on weekends, evenings, every single... If I was awake, I was probably working on getting saving money for when I started my own business, yeah. And... Um, with your your jewelry making, um, you know, back then when you were still in an apprenticeship, where, where did your um, creative ideas come from about the jewelry that you wanted to make? I, I was always been uh, obsessed with like lots of diamonds and making things sparkle. Mm. So my idea and movement, I love sort of engineering. I love cars, so a lot of my references come from cars. Um, yes, yeah, so I always. It took a while to get my sort of design and style. But it was always there. I mean, I've done so many designs, which I've not put out there. Um, Like I said, every single night I was going home, making something, making my skills better um, to be better than all the other apprentices and and the people who worked in the business as well. I wanted to be better than everyone there. I didn't want to be second best. Yeah, so I just kept on designing all the time and then selling, making stuff what people wanted as well. That was the main thing. Yeah. And 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 um, so you you uh, had the opportunity to buy the business uh, when you were twenty one, and you were doing work. I think you said at that time for um, other people in the West End. So what what kind of things were you making then? Did somebody like say you know make us a ring and this isn't what it needs to look like? Is it were you just following other people's designs at that stage? Yeah, at that stage, that was just to get money as well. So yeah. you say that a company come to us and say so they, they, they give us a certain amount of stones and they sort of tell us what that they want, like their company style. And where we come from, a company where we air made everything, um, they loved that. I mean, mm. there was no, we didn't use casting machines. We, used, we just air made everything. Yeah, so it, at the time, yeah, it was their design. You was making their thing. So you, I had the passion to make it 
as best I can. But when you start making your own stuff, obviously you got the you can do your own style and your own design. Mm. So that's why I always wanted to go down that path and not just be sitting making someone else's jewellery, if you know what yeah. I mean. So yeah. a lot of people do that in the jewellery trade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, I understand that um, it, you're in business with your brother Tommy. How did that? Yes, yeah. How did that come to happen? How how did two brothers come together to to start to build a business? So I was I started the the, the company first. Um, obviously, got the I had the business by then. I took over the workshop, mm -hmm. and then Tommy joined me a couple of years, probably three years after I started my own business. Because um, I was doing quite well at the time, I was doing, I was making quite a lot of things, doing a lot of sales. Um, but then we we thought we was we was talking about it. we thought we was going to be like obviously a major by then we thought we was untouchable and um, we went and got an office this is when tommy first started we went to canary wolf and got an office in the city group tower on the 33rd floor oh wow we had we, had, we yeah we had a view of the um a view of the thames all our mates was up there we thought it was amazing and then we sat there opened up and we realized no one was coming to see us on the 33rd floor so, um, so you've got like a, a workshop and a shop there. Is that right? No, uh, we had our work. We had our workshop in London still, and right. then we got this beautiful showroom in ah, this okay. tower. Mm. Because we obviously we're from the East End, so the Canary Wharf was like our sort of work bit where we used to play play out. Really, that's where yeah. all our friends used to be. Yeah, so we've got this office and we've done it up, and yeah, we had an amazing time with our friends. But I don't think we had about two customers in one year <laughs> up there. Oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, it didn't go very well, and it was costing a hell of a lot of money and yeah. that was probably our biggest mistake mm -hmm. i think we thought we was bigger than what we was at the time we, um yeah so that was a year where where we sort of got knocked down a peg or two and then um but what we realized people wanted to come to the workshop yeah so so once that was finished in canary wolf tommy then joined me we moved back into basically the workshop we had a we had a space for a showroom now and then yeah we sort of moved back into there and then, um, yeah, that's when we started a little bit more slower and sort of um, having customs. And actually, people wanted to come and see us more in our workshop than they did in the, the city group building. But, yeah, that was a, our first real big learning curve. And I can understand that because it is fascinating. I, I've, um, I want to come on and talk about your YouTube channel in a moment. But I've been fascinated just um, firstly seeing your, your studio um, and B, watching you work. And so I can absolutely see why people want to come and see you in your, in your own environment, actually doing what you're, what you're expert at. So you, you kind of went from Canary Wharf, you went to your workshop. Is, is that um, in, in the Gold, Goldsmith Centre? Is that where you... Yeah, this was an older, this was an older one. This was one in Atton Garden, okay. um, which we had previously. It was the same building I started my apprenticeship in, so I took over oh, the lease. Yeah. So yeah, we still had that the old time. So that's when we went back to there. And we sort of re rethought everything, and um, yeah, we started from there again. and started doing more designs and sort of trying to get more customers. And and that's an interesting point for me about where the customers come from. So, um, where were you selling, or how were you selling at that point? At this point, it was it was literally word of mouth. Um, it was a lot of my dad's mum and dad's family uh, friends. Yeah, and then friends of friends like that. We was that we were sort of working like that, which was. Yeah, mate, it was fine. It was great at the time. Mm. Um, but we realised we needed to expand out of that sort of um, just our, our small network of people we had. Yeah. Um, then we tried to, we do some, we done some advertising in some magazines. Um, then we started from there. We started doing some like photo shoots. 
to get in different magazines, which was great at the time. It was good. Um, but you obviously need a lot of magazines. You need a lot of, of press releases to get your name out there. So that's when we first started to realize we need to push the brand a little bit more than what we've been doing. Mm. And so, and, and building a mm. brand is no mean feat. Like, you know, that's, no. that's you know, the things that all of us in business want to try and crack. So was it at that point that you, you, you decided you would work on, uh, you know, um, increase your presence on YouTube or start a presence there? No, that's, we've, before that we met Maxim from The Prodigy. Um, oh, okay. And he, we showed him some of our stuff and he, he absolutely loved it. And then at the time, um, we started making him stuff and we'd done prints. He's 21 Night Tour. Uh-huh. We showed him some of our pieces and we made loads of um, bangles, necklaces for his big tour. So then after we met, after that, then we met Maxim. He took us on tour. We met, I mean, so many people from there. I mean, we don't suffer Beyonce, Jay-Z. Uh, I mean, the list is endless. To, uh, yeah, of, of celebrities we got through him. God, that's amazing. So that was a really big, a really big turning point for us, um, for design and sort of, being out there meeting people and then from that um there was a girl who worked for the bbc at the time and she she approached us about doing a a program about our our jewelry and sort of our customer base and then it it, we had a conversation it it went on for a few years and it happened up the channel four uh done a program on us it's called million pound jewelers Mm -hmm. um quite a few years ago now but they've done a program and they aired that on on obviously on channel four and the exposure we got from from that program, it really like elevated us to a different level. And we realised then that promoting the business is our biggest our biggest key really to make this business successful. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So um, I've got to ask this, and I'm going to sound like a real fangirl, but like you know, what was it? What's it like to make jewellery for superstars like you know Beyonce and? Jay-Z and, you know, the prodigy. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of football players as well, but again, I'm not really into football, so I didn't really get that excited. I didn't even know they were, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, when we started making stuff like for the prodigy, and it was at the time they, um, Invaders Must Die tour happened. So that was massive. And uh, yeah, I mean, meeting, I went and met Beyonce at the O2 backstage. Um, Yeah, I mean, she, she blew me away the most. I think out of everyone, um, in the world, it was it was probably. Uh, I mean, we've had nights out of like Liam Gallagher, me and Tommy. We've got like sitting on the sofa. He's got his arms around us, and I looked at Tommy. And I said, "This is a bit surreal now, isn't it?" But <laughs> I yeah, imagine. We, yeah, yeah, it's all things like that. But yeah, I mean, like Jay Z and stuff. They're, they're people I listen to as well. They're like, yeah. I'm, I'm fans of them sort of people. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's you don't realise at the time when you look back on it, it's actually quite yeah. It it's amazing. Good, God, it, it was a good time. Yeah. And so when you're making jewellery for, um, you know, somebody like Beyonce, um, are you taking the design from her or is she buying the designs that you've created? Well, at first she actually, she, we had a small collection in Arvin Nichols at the time. We'd done like a little collaboration mm-hmm. and she went into Arvin Nichols and bought some of our pieces mm-hmm. and she actually wanted to meet us from, from that. Oh, God, brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, that was great. So there, from there, I, I made a, quite a big ring, um, which I gifted her at the time when I went and met her, I gave her mm-hmm. the ring. And, and again, that was just my idea, my design. Yeah. And she absolutely loved it. And she wore it on quite, and she wore it on tour as well. So 
we've got amazing images of um, Beyonce wearing it and stuff like that. And again, Brianna as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she she wore a lot of us a lot of our pieces. Um, so yeah, we've got our name out there, and that's that's why after the TV show. Um, Channel 4 wanted to do some more, more programs of us, but the problem with TV, it takes so long yeah. to get a program. And that's when I come up with the idea about the YouTube. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's film this ourselves and try and get the and get it pushed out. And that's when we first started uh, sort of the filming, really, of the YouTube channel. So, so tell me about that, because I'm fascinated about... So I, I noticed when I was looking at your YouTube channel, you've got something like 650,000 subscribers, which sounds absolutely incredible to me. So how, how, did, you, how did you build that audience? And you know, who, where, where does the content creation ideas come from? I mean, we first started, we just made a few videos first, and it's just the making. And I mean, it's just built from there, really. We can make exciting things, what people have not really seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, it's all about the handmade. I mean, even with our business today, it's about making the best product out there. If uh, if our product can talk for our, for themselves, I think that's the main the main goal. And I think showing people our process of how we actually create our jewellery, I think mm. people just loved it really. And I think mm. that's why it's been so successful really on the on YouTube. And we get sometimes four million views a month. God, that's great. And so and, yeah, and so um. In terms of um, YouTube, has that brought a different customer base to you or and or does the YouTube channel provide um, uh, an income source of itself? Yeah, no, there is an income source for YouTube as well, but um, it's not the it's not a lot, really. Um, It's all about, yeah, customer base, Mm. people seeing our products, people. I mean, we've, we've sold we've sold things on in the middle of oil rigs in the middle of the ocean and where people watched our videos and yeah. uh, bought their engagement for their wife. I mean, how really in the world can you get to someone in the middle of an oil rig in a, wherever <laughs> yeah. it was in the, in the world? Um, yeah. So it is, it is really expanded our sort of audience base uh, amongst many other things. Well, it's not just YouTube where we get our customers. It's, it's a mixture of, I think of everything we do really. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And and in terms of uh, where your customers come from, I know you've recently opened a boutique in Mayfair. What's yes. what's that been like? Tell me about that. Yes, yeah, so I was at, um, I thought we've always wanted a shop, but um, the cost of a shop is quite high. Mm. So I was having, I'm quite spontaneous when I see things, I want them. Um, so I was having breakfast in the Walsley and I was walking down the road, it was like seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and I see the shop up for, for, uh, for rent and I just, oh well this just looks perfect it's on it's on a great location and i phoned my brother at the time i said oh we're getting a shop now and he from he said look what are you talking about we're not and then yeah next day i said oh, no i want this shop and I just, I just went for it and sort of uh got it from there i think that's the the next step we needed yeah yeah and how's it going yeah i mean the shop's been very good i mean it's great for our brand mm. um to have a location and a lot of people come in who watch us in different countries and they walk past the shop and they, they come in and and see us and stuff like that. So, so it's been a really good experience, yeah, so far. And I was watching um, on one of your YouTube films was about your your boutique. And I love the way yep. that you're creating um, an experience when people come into your boutique. T- tell me a bit about that. Yeah, because a lot of, as you know, a lot of jewellery shops are quite stuck up when you walk in there. It's a little bit, uptight 
So we wanted to make something a little bit yeah. different. Yeah, intimidating. Yeah. I mean, as far as it is, our shop is intimidating. Our stuff is quite, it's more expensive jewellery. Mm. But we want to make it, if people can come in, they can sort of relax. We've got a little bar area. So we just wanted to try and make a different environment. And I think we're still working on that now. I mean, it, mm. we're not going down perfect, but we don't, yeah, if people just want to come in and have a look at the stuff we made for our YouTube channel as well. We've got a cabinet for our pieces made for YouTube. Um, we've got loads of different, we've got, We've tried to make smaller pieces as well so people can come in and buy something that's not so expensive. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Not everything mm -hmm. is um, the big stuff we make on YouTube. There's a lot of different stuff in the shop. That's what we try to try to achieve with it as well, really. Yeah, yeah. And which which brings me on to, you, you've got some fascinating pieces and your your signature piece, can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Bobby, is is that the motion ring? Is that is that what you're known yes. for? Yeah. yeah, the Can motion rings. Explain is, is, that. Is so, again, I always love movement in rings, and it's probably one of the first rings I designed when I actually started the, the new company when I, when I purchased the sort of lease. Um, it's called the motion ring. So, I just drilled some holes and made it move. And it took quite a few years to perfect the actual movement of the ring. But, yeah, it's been one of our most successful pieces, I think. It's our, definitely our signature. Mm. And that we sell, it's still our biggest seller today. I mean, people still. They all from all over the world want to they buy our rings for for the motion ring because they're great for men yeah. yeah one of our most popular ones is it's it, there's no diamonds on the outside whatsoever and then when you open it the diamonds are on the inside wow and that's uh and again even when i showed tommy that ring when i first designed it he even said to me Who, who's going to buy that no one wants the diamonds on the inside and i said for, for men as well who don't want diamonds mm. But they want diamonds, but they don't want them on the outside. I mean, it's, it's the perfect ring, and it and it's got in, it's more engineering. Like it yeah. moves, it locks, it's straight lines, and I think it's really um, men sort of love that for their ring, wedding rings, or just a ring yeah. anyway, and, and women like, as well. It sounds like a real feat of engineering. It's um, yeah, fascinating. And you've yeah. also got, I think, the rocket and the grenade. What what's uh, what's the story with those pieces? With the with the grenade for sure. Um, it again from Maxim from the Prodigy. He uh, we were speaking and he said he, he was talking about the energy when he walks on stage, and he said the the the, the rush he gets of energy mm. and it's like an explosion. I don't know if you've seen the Prodigy live. Um, only only it only uh, films. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely crazy. And this we went to his concert one time and he, and he was explaining about the the energy when he first walks on. So I, I come back to someone and said, it feels like a grenade. Like when you walk on, you're exploding with energy. Um, and that's sort of where the idea come from. It wasn't from an idea of like explosion. It was, it was more of explosion of energy and, and, and then the, the, the time you was in it when you, uh, when you feel it. That's yeah. sort of the idea behind the grenade. Yeah, it's brilliant. Love it. And again, yeah, the rocket as well. I've, I've always been uh, fascinated with like the space and rockets and stuff like that. And the, the, the rocket represents sort of you're trying to aim for something else. Like people say, you, you aim for the cloud, you aim for the stars and hit the cloud. But again, it's just that sort of thing that you're, you're aiming for something out of this world, mm. like the like space. And that's always where the rockets come in from as well. And so, which which is a beautiful segue to me asking, kind of, so what, what and where next for Bobby White? I'm, I'm always super keen. I think I've, our main goal in, in, in business where I've always been is if we can make the best products handmade in the best way we can our customers should come do you know what i mean and that's mm. where where i've started and again we want to we want to branch out a little bit more 
uh, we're even thinking do we need a a more of a closer experience with a with a more private showroom as well um, mm. in London and and again once that's done we may be pushed out to to probably America mm-hmm. and and maybe um, the Middle East as well we'll do mm. quite a lot of work there yeah um yeah so we want to keep on building keep on making um, obviously better YouTube videos um, and yeah and keep building like that I mean we, we're not going to stop really to uh, to we try and trying to achieve yeah quite a, a, a big jewelry company in a way plenty more to come um yeah a, a question that i'm 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 interested in is you you obviously work in and, and with luxury brands um which is is a kind of quite a rarefied space in some respects what, what does kind of real success look like or feel like to you i don't know it's a, it's a strange question with us um it's, I think it's been, I wonder like when I said to Tommy years ago, I, I love the fact that we, we're selling in countries where we're not there and stuff and people are buying our products. But success, I feel like we want a boutique or some sort of presence in, in most countries, well, like some of the big countries. Um, yeah, I just think a bit of an awkward question. Really. We don't mm. really, the thing with me and Tommy, like we don't really do that many business plans. We just keep pushing every day i yeah. mean we don't really have a, a target i mean yeah. like the shop we didn't want a shop and then two weeks later we had a shop um <laughs> it's a bit like that at the minute yeah yeah we're not so much on the the business plan we try and take the opportunities as they come really yeah um yeah. i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i know we've never done any uh, business training whatsoever but right. it seems to be working working so far yeah hopefully. well that's that's the beauty of it isn't it as well and yeah. you know, i i love the uh the collaboration between you and you and tommy and i and uh there the, the seems to be a great deal of banter between the pair of you what's it like working with family for for some of us that could be a nightmare no but you know what we get on really well uh, i mean we do have arguments for about 10 seconds after it's it's fine and um, we've never had a we don't we don't fall out for days and weeks and stuff like it just be the quick it'd be the quick argument i mean we've had a few fights in the workshop and uh, um why people like my pa is looking and stuff but about 10 minutes later we're fine again so <laughs> it's yeah it's sort of like that yeah yeah i think we've only had a few uh i think we've punched him a few times but that's about it that's about but it. it's only it's only in the arms we, we, we've always had a thing when we was little as well if we, we were more like wrestle fighting we never punch in the face. It's always like arms and stuff like that. So we never really get... Um, no marks. It's, it's, it's always a bit light, Mark. Yeah, it's always a bit of light <laughs> argument. And then uh, we're fine. Brilliant, brilliant. And what do you do when you're when you're not making jewellery? What what do you do? What What's your ideal relaxing day? Does such a thing exist? I don't know. I'm, I'm constantly always on, yeah, work mode. Um, a lot of, I mean... When I am relaxed, yeah, it's, it's friends really, and I, also, like I said, I'm, I'm obsessed with cars as well. Mm. Um, so, like, yeah, for like last weekend, we went to um, we went to Italy to to race some Lamborghinis and stuff like that. So, yeah, amazing. I'm sort of really into that. Yeah, and we looked at some. I love going to look at like museums and art and stuff. But yeah, yeah cars. I mean, like yesterday, uh, last weekend, uh, we went to Delori, which is a car brand, and I sat for hours just looking at these little carbon fiber pieces on the car and the way the engines and the exhaust pipes so i can spend hours looking at all that sort of thing really and sort of try and bring it back into a, a fine jewelry and i and i've seen content. your um mercedes your your take on the mercedes-benz uh badge which yes. i loved i loved yeah at, um, that was quite yeah quite a fun project to do really for, for my car and again 
that's in the shop so people can come down to the shop mm. in Mayfair and um, have a look at the badges and stuff we've made. Yeah. Um, we just done a Lamborghini one, so that's going to be in the shop as well in the next couple of days. So, okay. yeah, so that's good for people to come and see that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, what um, a, a kind of... Um, a, a kind of kind of as we're coming towards the end of the the podcast and we're talking about your absolutely stunning jewelry which which is just so impressive i i really love it and i've really enjoyed kind of learning a bit about the creative process that sits behind it it's absolutely fascinating but i, I always like to ask my guests and this is in di- direct contrast to your your works of art but What's been your personal best buy that's been under £30 in the last year or so? And, and what is that and why? And it could be something for pleasure or just utility or fun. What, what might that be? Oh, again, like I was, I was thinking about it earlier. And then at the, um, at the beginning of this year, I took a, a friend out who is a jeweller. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing I could think of where I've spent probably under £30 for lunch and I actually poached him from another company and he come and worked for me and he's a, a brilliant um, sort of jeweller and that was, that was probably the best £30 I've really <laughs> I spent like in the last year <laughs> to actually get someone to work for me, yeah. That's a, quite a cheap I like, I like that. recruitment fee, yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, good so recruitment was, fee. That was Brilliant. pretty good, yeah, early in the year. And you, you've had your, um, I, I, I love the way you've told us about your kind of you know, mistake the the Canary Walk offices, and yep. and I'm sure that that was quite a painful learn. What's been your kind of as you you're on your business journey? What's been your kind of practical piece of money wisdom that you've you've picked up that could be useful for us uh, as listeners to to take from you as a, as a as an artist and a businessman. So I've always invested in tools. Um, I mean, for my company, it's, it's about buying the best tools we can to make the best the best product as well. I think um, we're more based on the product than the actual probably business side of it. So we've always strived to make the best piece of jewellery we can, um, which a lot, a lot of companies do now. I think a lot mm-hmm. of it's bought in from the Far East and they mm-hmm. don't really care about what they're selling. It's more about the, the actual buying it in and the profit. Mm-hmm. And I think we've always tried to keep it where it's all about the product. The product yeah. is our best, our best thing we, we, we is out there rather than our probably our business strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from there, people hopefully then will buy into our, buy into our product rather than just our, our business ideas. And I think that's where we've always tried to keep it. And, and that's, that's such an important thing to do. And I think you know, in business, people often lose sight that, you know, people come to you because they like your product or service. And then seemingly they, they start to dilute that over time, don't they? Because they're kind of yeah, chipping away at margins or whatever it might be. So exactly, yeah. it's a really simple but perfect philosophy, really. And, and I guess my final question on that, what does make the perfect piece of jewellery? What's the, the best product that you, what, what, what equals good for you? Well, it's, it's the way we make. We make everything by hand, um, yeah. so it's it's not it's not been made by a computer. So it's got a, a it's a different feel to a jewelry. A piece of jewelry was made by hand, and a piece of jewelry is made by a computer. It's just such a different mm. flow to the metal, mm. and the way we set and make things. Everything's under a microscope. We, we have even our tools. We we hand make all our tools. Um, we sharpen and polish all our tools, which takes probably hours more than what other people do. Mm. And probably if ninety percent of people might not even see it. They they might 
they might see it. They must. They look at our pieces during look at someone else's, and they they know why there is a difference. They can see a difference, but they're not sure what it is. Yeah. But there is a difference because we spend probably hours and hours more perfecting our pieces of jewelry and what and what other people would do. And I just feel like uh, it's a work of art. I'm not. I'm not yeah. just creating a piece of jewelry so someone can just wear it. it. The actual the ring is a piece of art, and it has to be perfect. I love that. And, and yeah, that's something to be so proud of. And, and I think for anybody buying one of your pieces, that, that, that sense of, I often talk to people um, about, you know, the, the pleasure in purchases. And I think it, you know, there seems to be a recurring theme that it isn't about buying lots of stuff, but it's about buying yeah. things that really mean something that you really love and you can see really feel the effort and um course, craftsmanship yeah. and uh, you you epitomize that bobby thank you bobby it's been yeah. absolutely wonderful speaking to you is is there anything that where, where can we find you um it's well, our website is um bobbywhite.com and obviously our shop in mayfair it's in, it's in grafton street just off bond street perfect um yeah we're open six days a week so yeah if anyone wants to contact us they can uh, or email me yeah that's, that's brilliant bobby thank you so much it's been a real pleasure talking thank to you so I much really appreciate that thank you for that thank you what a treat to listen to someone with such a commitment and passion for his art what a talented guy and i love his story of meeting beyonce and liam gallagher can you imagine do check out bobby's youtube channel there's some brilliant films on there in a kind of lock stock and two smoking barrels kind of meets fine jewelry kind of way you really get a sense of bobby's craftsmanship and the banter between him and his brother tommy now before you go let me just tell you a little bit about my new guest neil Bage. now neil could possibly be my new favorite person in financial services he tells us about his journey from being a lifeguard and compare at butlins in bognor regis to co-founding shaping wealth a learning technology platform transforming the human experience of money neil's incredibly eloquent such a deep thinker and he's got some beautiful stories to tell and some cutting edge views on the direction of financial services and what a life well lived really looks like. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Until then, stay well. Bye for now. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast platform to subscribe, rate and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Mm-hmm.